we've been in a series called You Asked For It. You Asked For It uh, comes from a survey on Easter Sunday this year where we said, what do you want to hear about? And so we're taking the top four the top four uh, ideas from that survey, the top four topics, and we are teaching on them here over the, these few weeks. Uh, we started the first week with dealing with difficult people. Then we talked about uh, how to become a whole person so you can have a great family, great marriage, great relationships. And then the next uh, one is today, and the next week we'll talk about purpose. And uh, then we'll launch a whole series on purpose. So uh, today's topic is handling stress handling stress. And so let's pray and uh, then let's jump into it. Father, we thank you for your word and how the entrance of it gives light. And we pray that you would just speak to us now and lead us. Lord, would you would change us from the inside out and then give us the grace to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, according to something called the Stress Institute, like, did you know there was such a thing called, there was a, such a thing as the Stress Institute? Like, what do they do there? Like, what's a Stress Institute? It's a place where they put people under stress? That cannot be a good job. So the Stress Institute does this whole thing about, and they study stress everywhere, and they say that 44% of people, 44% of people in our country, Americans, are more stressed today than they were five years ago more stressed today than they were five years ago. Now, that's a, that's a pretty good clip. That's about 10% a year. It's just going to keep going. They say that one out of five are in something called extreme stress. Extreme stress is things like um, they, they have physical problems uh, that are the result of st stress. They're not able to sleep. They, are, uh, they have heart palpitations or they have depression or they have anxiety, and it just consumes them. 60% of all illnesses, the Stress Institute says, have their root in our stress levels. In other words, we're internalizing this stress. They're internalizing what's going on in their lives, and it's causing their physical body to be worn out. Did anybody try to get gas this week? You know that's a shortage caused by people being stressed out, people being afraid they're not going to get any gas. It is the craziest thing. And it's this, this I, I mean, it was amazing to see people. I mean, I heard several stories from people who tried to get gas. I mean, people are angry and, you know, like my wife sat for like, I don't know, 10 minutes behind some guy that filled up like 12 cans of gas, <laughs> you know, so he was waiting to get gas. And people are just like freaked out. And part of it is the culture that we live in, you know, the things that, that really do impact us. You know, where is this stress coming from? It's a long list. Here's a list. I'll just give you relationships. I think are one of the primary ways people get stressed out. Conflict in relationships. Some of you are like, I'm married and that's producing stress. Some of you are not married and you're like, that's producing a lot of stress. Some of you, you're like, you got, you're under deadlines and you've been checking your phone even while I've been speaking. Because the deadline is creating stress. You've got legal problems or you're in the middle of a divorce. I mean, we essentially have a divorce culture where people <clears throat> are experiencing this incredible stress from the breakup of their marriage. Some of you are stressed because you have a new job. <laughs> Some of you are stressed because you have an old job. 
Some of you are stressed out because you've got an illness that you're really wrestling with and it's really hard. Parent, some of you are new parents and you're like, oh my gosh, how are we going to keep this thing alive? Parenting creates stress. I used to think that it was, you know, a lot of stress when, I, when our kids were little. And since they've gotten big, I just, I don't want to discourage you, but the emotional stress goes up. So... So you got this parenting thing, you got expectations from other people. Everybody wants something from you. Unresolved sin. Some of you are like got really bad stuff going on in your life and it's causing you an internal conflict and that in turn creates stress. The truth is we all have many sources of stress that are coming into our lives. The Bible talks a lot about this. The Bible talks all about how to deal with pressure and stress and difficulty. It's all through the scriptures. In fact, Jesus himself promised that you'd have stress. Just to encourage you. <laughs> Just, this, is a, this is an encouraging message. Jesus said you're going to be... Uh, faced with all kinds of pressure and all kinds of difficulty. Here's what he said in John 16, 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Oh, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. See, it's so important to understand what Jesus is talking about here. Because there, Jesus is saying that we, 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 we're going to all have these kinds of troubles that go on in our lives, these kind of difficulties. But in, the, in him, with him in us and us in him and the relationship that we have and the following him, there is peace. And here's the truth. As your pastor, I can't promise that you won't run into trouble. I can't promise that your circumstances are even going to change. But what I can promise you is that there will be peace available to you no matter what you face. What I can promise you from the scriptures is that when you are in trouble, when you face something that seems insurmountable, so overwhelming, like these people are facing after Hurricane Harvey, there's something that comes on those who know Christ, those who know Jesus. There's something that they can tap into, and it is Jesus himself and the peace that he brings because he's overcome the world. Psalm 34, 19, it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. See, you can't go around just thinking that just because you read the Bible or just because you go to church that you're not going to have any problems anymore. I, I th this is kind of a, a messed up way to think about God. What a, so many... So many of us have wrestled through this idea. As soon as something difficult happens in our lives, the first question you ask is, what did I do or what did God, what is God mad at me for? Why doesn't God care? Nothing could be further from the truth. We live in a broken world. God doesn't need to produce anything bad. It's already in production from the, the wicked one and from the uh, decisions of people who are under his control. There is enough tyranny. There is enough vile uh, um, um, relationships and conflict in the world that God's not producing any of that. And what Jesus is saying here is in, in the middle of that, there can be something. Part of heaven can come to earth in your soul. 
and it can overcome what's going on all around us. The scriptures here in Psalm 34 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That word affliction, you know what it is here in this verse? It's the Hebrew word ra, which means, it actually means it's an Assyrian word for torture. Torture. Here's what it literally means. Check this out. To stand you up on a post, tie you to it, and then rock by rock, pile it on you until it crushes you to death. Does that, does that feel like your life sometimes? You, you feel like the, the stress is piling up? And, and, and for some of you here this morning, you feel like there's just one more thing comes into my life that I'm going to die. So I want to give you a, a, some principles and some promises from Scripture that you can take with you. So I want you to read this scripture out loud with me. Psalm 62, verse five. Psalm 62, five. I want you to read it together. It's on the screen. It's on your message notes. Come on, speak up. I want everybody reading, right? I want you to say it. Here we go. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Selah. Selah means pause and reflect. Some of you are reading it out loud. I want to encourage you. That in your time with God, read the Bible out loud. There's something really powerful that happens when you do this. When you just read it and you don't, don't speak it out loud, it's one level of engagement. When you speak it, something else transpires in your own mind. It focuses your mouth and your mind in the same direction, and that has an impact on your heart. And as you speak it out loud, what happens also is you hear it. And the scriptures teach that that faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's words. And so what what I want to encourage you to do as God's people is you've got to stir yourself up when you're facing things that are very difficult. And one of the best ways to do that is you read the Bible and you read it out loud and you encourage yourself in what God has said to you. Look what verse 9 and 10 says. It says, I'll just read it to you. Low-born men are but a breath and the high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Do not set your heart on them. Now, I want you to notice two main culprits. Here they are. The two main culprits to you stressing out. The psalmist actually identifies them here. Number one, most of our stress comes from the way we use time. It comes from the way we use time. It comes from the way we manage it. It comes from the way that we deal with it in our lives. You know, it's truly true. All of us have the same amount of time. Nobody has more than you. We all have the same amount. It's simply a matter of how much we choose to use it for different things. And so I don't know about you, I'm a procrastinator. I love, like, all through college, I was like, I'm thinking about the paper I'm going to write. You know, it's all up here. I'm kind of absorbing it. I'm, I'm preparing. I'm reading. I've got stuff. And then I get to the night before, and I've got to pull the all-nighter, and I produce some awesome work in those all-nighters. 
I, I often do produce great stuff, but I often wonder when I go the next day and I got a B plus, what I could have done if I'd have just managed my time better. Some of you are like that. Let me say as your pastor, the reality is that you can't keep doing all that you're doing. Until you come to the place where you can say, I'm going to figure out what my life is really about, and I'm going to focus my time and my energy on what these things that are meaningful to me and matter to me, stop doing everything that everybody else is trying to get you to do. If you keep doing what everybody else is trying to get you to do, you'll burn out. And sometimes you burn out because you, you, you just want to spread yourself too thin. I know that Amy and I have had a lot of talks about that over the last few months as we've been on sabbatical and thinking about how to live our lives well with our time. Daniel 5 is a really cool story. It, you'll re you can read the verse in your message notes, but it's a cool story about a king, and this king is having a party, through a party, and suddenly out of, in the middle of this party, God shows up with a giant hand and writes on a wall where they can all see it. And so it's like a prophetic act. It's a supernatural encounter with God for this king. And so check, check out what it says in Daniel 5.25. He says, this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Here's what the words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So I want you to see this. In other words, God was saying to this king, your days are numbered, your life, your life is out of balance, and you do, you, if you don't do something about it, it's going to cost you something. I think I could speak that in a prophetic way over most of our lives today. I could say, your days are numbered, <laughs> your life is out of balance, and if you don't do something about it, it's going to cost you something. It'll cost you your marriage. It'll cost you your relationships. It'll cost you your, uh, your, your faith, your spiritual vitality. It'll cost you something. It'll cost you your job. It'll cost you something if you don't figure out how to live with your time and the time that you have and the time God wants you to have and how to prioritize it. So I want you to honestly look at your life and see if your schedule is out of balance because that's where most of the stress comes from. Make some course adjustments. This is what Amy and I have done, and we've decided we're, we're, we're gonna change some of the way our schedule works, and we're going to commit to something in a different way, uh, commit to some of these things in a different way to make sure we're not living stressed out. All right, the second thing, here's the second idea. The second that you could, you could maybe guess it, uh, the psalmist identifies it as a, a stressor is money. Time and money. And that's why it's so important to all of us. We have to look regularly at how we're spending our money. We have to look at what we're doing with our stuff. Look at what 1 Timothy 6, 6 says. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. There was a, a story of a man that wanted to take all of his money with him when he died. So he, he'd worked all his life. He'd saved all his money. He, he, was a, he was a real miser when it came to saving. So he, so he saves all this money, and he, he asks his wife, he says, when I go, when I die, I want you to promise me that you will 
send all the money with me. I want, I'm going to take all my money into the afterlife, and I want you to promise me that you'll make sure that that happens, right? And so, he, so he, he's like, he died, and the woman is sitting on the front row of the funeral in black, and her friend's sitting by her, and when they finished the ceremony, just before the undertakers got ready to close the casket, and the wife said, wait just a minute, wait just a minute. And she had a black box with her, and she came over to the, with the box and the casket, and she puts it in the, in the casket. And they close the casket, and then they take him away to bury him. She sits back down. Her friend is sitting there right beside her. And she said, after the service is over, her friend said to her, girl, I know you did not put that money in that casket. And she said, no, I'm a Christian. I, I, when, I, have, to, I have to tell the truth. And, I, and I, I, he, he made me promise, he made me promise to make sure he could have that money as he went into the afterlife and with, in that casket with him. So she, her friend said, you mean to tell me you put all his money in that casket? She said, I sure did. I got it all together. I put it in my account and then I wrote him a check. <laughs> you can't take it with you. Some, somebody, some guy died and he was a super rich guy. They said, how much did he leave? And they said, all of it. <laughs> you can't take it with you. Look at verse 7 through 10 says. It says, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So hard for us as Americans to be content with that. Those who want to get rich, Paul says, fall into temptation and a trap and into foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Hey, hey, it's not money that's the root of evil. Money's actually an amoral exchange. It's just, it's just a, a tool we use for exchanging things. There's nothing wrong with money. Money takes on the life of those who use it. So the, so the problem with money is when you love it more than anything else. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, Paul says, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So here's what money can do. It's the number one reason for conflict in marriages. It's the number one cause of divorce in, mar in, in marriages. And so money can create stress in our lives. So here's why we do Financial Peace University every single semester. We want you to go, everybody in our church, we want them to take time at some point, at some season in their life to go through Financial Peace University. It is a life-changing event. It's a life-changing experience because you learn what God thinks about your money and you learn how to honor him with it and how to live without it dominating you. And if you can own your money and not let money own you, it'll transform you. Financial Peace University will start again here in this fall. And so I want a bunch of you to sign up for that. And so here's the question. How do I find rest for my soul? I'm going to give you three ideas, all right? Jeremiah 6, 16, here's what it says. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. I want you to take your little message notes and underline that, that, those two words. Ancient paths. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. 
This is Jeremiah the prophet speaking what God gave him. But then he continues, he says, but you said we will not walk in it. I think this is our problem. I think it's all there. It's in the pages of the scripture. It's in the narrative of the Bible with Jesus as that central character. It is there for us to mine the depths of it and take it, but we, we end up just being distracted. We end up not obeying it. We end up not applying it. And, and it's, so, it's so simple if we'll just put a few things in order. All right, here they are. Number one, I think we have to live with a sense of purpose and urgency. In other words, I think the scriptures teach us that we have to live our lives on purpose. That's what next week's topic is about. On purpose to figure out, we gotta figure out what our life is all about. When I know what my life's all about, it makes it easy to make decisions. Stephen Covey says, when you have, have to say no to somebody, which is one of the most difficult things we, could, we, ha we have to do, is you have to have a greater yes inside your soul. A greater yes and what, what the scriptures teach is there is a great purpose that God has for every, per, for every person. And this is why we want you to go through things like Catalyst, which is coming up here in the fall. Because we, we learn about your internal purpose, about how God wired you up, about what he's putting in you to give to the world. Because that is a source of fulfillment. And those priorities begin to change your life. And you, you don't become so stressed out when you know exactly what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Psalm 39, four through five says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and my life is fleeing away. My life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. A human existence is but a breath. You gotta live with a sense of purpose and urgency or other things will just take over. And I think God wants us to live with his purpose and his urgency. Number two, we have to put first things first. Put first things first. What does that mean? Listen, there are tons of things you can do. There are tons of things pulling at you. If you're really going to address the issues of stress in your life, then you're going to have to put some first things first. Listen, you're being bombarded. There are things everywhere just vying for your attention. And we live in an American culture where there are so many channels to surf. There are so many types of mayonnaise. <laughs> you walk into the store, there's like, like 50 kinds of mayonnaise just sitting there on the shelf. Do you really need 50 kinds of mayonnaise or 50 kinds of toilet paper? I mean, come on. They're not that much different. Some of you are like, oh no, they're different. <laughs> Here's the problem though. It's providing that the choices that we're dealing with every day are providing the stress sometimes. And you gotta put first things first in your life so that you do the most important things first. Psalm 90, 12, verse, uh, verse 12 says, teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. Well, how do I do that? Well, Jesus said, here's what he said in Matthew 6, He said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus was letting us in on a secret, and that secret has to do with order. You've heard me say it several times over this last year, order determines capacity. When you put things in order, your life opens up. You can receive more things. I think you, can, you and I receive from God what he has for us when we choose him first. 
When we put him in priority in our lives and we put him, our lives in order under him, our lives start opening up. It's, it's the garage. Your, 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 your garage is full of junk and you take it out and you throw away the junk and then you put the junk that you want to keep back in, but you put it in in order. What happens? You can park a car in the garage. Oh, what is that? It's order determining the capacity of the garage. It's the same thing in your life. You and I have to put God first in our finances. My wife and I, Amy, we put God first in our finances because every bit of the money that we receive from anywhere, anytime, we believe it just comes from his hand. He is our provider. And so we take the first tenth of everything we receive and we give it back to God. We give it back to God. I think when you do that, something profound happens in your life. And I, I, it's called tithing, if you, if, if you have never heard of it before. It's just a, a way to say, God, this belongs to you. And when you, whatever you give first actually blesses the rest. Whatever you give first kind of determines what happens everywhere else. And so we, we, we've made a fundamental decision, and we've done it all our married life. And then we put first, God first in our time and the way we manage our time. He gets the first of my day. He gets the first of my week. God gets the first of my time. Hey, 21 days of prayer, you know what it is? All it is, is helping people get out of the summer schedule and get back to making sure God is first. The reason we're gathering here and at each location is not because, oh, we're, we're begging God to do something he doesn't want to do. No, it's for us. We're getting back in touch with who God is and what he wants from our lives. And we're praying for people around us. We're focusing our attention on what's most important and what's priority for our lives. That's what 21 days of prayer is. So if you, if you feel weak in your spiritual life, spend the next two weeks coming to prayer. If you feel lost, if you're just kind of meandering through life, do something different. Do so, change your schedule. Get up early. Come to pray. There's something that will profoundly affect your heart and your soul. Number three, here it is. You got to keep. I got to keep my heart set on heaven. I got to keep my heart set on heaven. In other words, I'm going to lower. <laughs> I'm going to lower all my expectations of earth. I'm going to realize that this is earth and not heaven. I'm not trying to get everything to turn out right here because I know there's something coming in the future. Heaven will be revealed. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and Jesus will return and he will reign over all the earth and at that moment, everything will be made new. Everything here is in some state of disrepair and decay. Your house is simply a garbage processing center. It comes in your house, nice new furniture, kids destroy it over a few years and makes its way to the family room. And then from the family room, the couch goes, it's like getting so bad, we gotta get, and it goes to the garage. Once it goes to the garage, you know it's only a matter of time. It's going away. All of earth is just going through this process, but there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And when your heart is set on heaven, you realize there's nothing perfect about this place. It needs the healing touch of Jesus. It needs the kingdom of God. 
It changes our perspective about what our role here is. Everything here is temporary. Everything here is fleeting. And we see that when we set our heart on heaven. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So how do we do this, Paul? He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen, last scripture. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. And I think Paul, as he wrote it to the church at Philippi, I think he says it on purpose. He says, don't be anxious about anything. What? How do you do How do you do that? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. Everybody say everything. 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 (laughs) Say everything. In everything, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know what that simply means? It simply means talk to him about everything. Everything. Don't make any decisions without him and his input. Talk to him about everything. Your heartaches, your plans, your dreams, your fears. Talk to him about it all. My wife and I are going through a car buying process right now. Old Blue Betty, our van, it has 243,000 miles on it. We have beat that thing to a bloody pulp with our five children. It is awesome. We love that van, and we are happy to see it go away. (laughs) But we wanted God to lead us and, like, like, help us choose wisely Help us, to, help us to understand so we're on our way. We're going to the dealer, and we've been looking online. We've been doing all this stuff. I mean, we're just like absorbed in this car searching process. It's so awesome. I think I'm addicted to autotrader.com. But anyway, it's, so, it's, it's this process that we're in. And, and so we looked at each other yesterday. We're on our way to the dealer, and we're like, okay, God, you just show us what to do. Show us how to uh, navigate. Is this, if it's, this is the right thing to do, um, then you provide for us. We're, we're, we, we feel like this is good. You stop us if we shouldn't do this. You, you say yes, and we'll go. And I just think it's one of those practices. Like so often, we just get used to just doing whatever we want to do. And then we try to ask God to bless our plans. I think what Paul is saying here is talk to him about everything, and look what happens in verse 7. Check it out. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. In other words, it goes beyond our own. We don't get it. All those people in Houston, all those people in South Texas, overwhelmed by Hurricane Harvey, all those people just wrestling and struggling. I'm telling you, the people that know Jesus, the people that know God's spirit, they are experiencing a peace that goes beyond what's reasonable. A peace beyond, a transcends understanding, and that will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. He will guard. You You want your heart and mind to be guarded? Let Jesus do it. He's way better at it than you. Talk to him about everything. You want to deal with stress? Let Jesus be the one who guards your heart and mind. And he calls you today to determine to live with purpose and urgency. He calls us today to prioritize and make first things first. He calls us to keep our hearts set on heaven. Close your eyes, bow your head. We're going to come to the Lord's table here as we close. And 
I want you to let him speak to you about your schedule. I want you to let God speak to you about your balance in your life. I want him to speak to you about just going through life and meandering and not having a hold on your priorities and, and what you're doing with your money and living hand to mouth and stressed out all the time. I want you to ask him what to do. And I, want, I, I believe he'll speak to you. I believe he'll lead you. I think he'll direct your steps. And so we're coming to the Lord's table because he's invited you to his table. He's inviting you to communion with him. The body represents, represented by the, by the bread, the, the blood of Christ represented by the cup. Christ's body broken for us so that we could be healed. The, the blood of Christ for us so we could be forgiven come and just lay it all out to him and let him forgive you for any of the mistakes or failures or foolishness of your past and let's let's allow him to, to change us